loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied. Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association. This is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Another week of Pick and Pod, a Wednesday night edition this time around. We got Knicks and Nets tonight. I'm Miles Grossman alongside our Knicks beat reporter, Colin Lochran, as well as our versatile college sports reporter, as long as along with various other things, Will Jing. Glad you could join us. For this half hour, it should be a fun one. John Morant is back, game winner last time over New Orleans. Now the Knicks inching above 500, looking relatively solid. On the other side, in Brooklyn, the Nets, the road trip was not very solid for them. But now they're home to face the Knicks. Some opportunities there. And then we'll wrap up with a little bit of Warriors downing the Celtics talk. I know that's something you want to get into, Colin. I mean, I, I was pretty down on this edition of the Warriors, this iteration of the Warriors, but big win over, you know, a, a team with Tatum underperforming. But let's go all the way back to the top first, because that's really, I think, the highlight of the NBA this entire week is the return of John Moran. He comes back last time out, 25 game suspension for waving the gun on his friend's social media on the Instagram live. And now he's back 24 point comeback win. He scored 34, six rebounds, eight assists, his first buzzer beater of his career. I mean, it was just an unbelievable performance, an unbelievable setting. I guess first where I want to start is Colin, what was it like to see job back? I mean, I forgot about this guy in a way, you know, there's a lot of reasons that I love the NBA. There's a lot of reasons that we all love the NBA. Chief among them might be that the storylines write themselves as if no one could have come up with this. I mean, if you were to tell me three years ago, this young kid's going to come up, he's going to kind of flash a gun on social media, and his first game back, he's going to hit a game winner. That writes itself. So from that angle of things, it was great to see John Morant back. He made a mistake, more than one mistake. It's okay. He's a young person. This happens. The NBA is a league of second chances, if you will. There's always going to be iconoclastic type players. Look at a Dennis Rodman. I'm not saying that Ja is like Rodman. There are maybe a few similarities in terms of the choices. But as far as on-court talent goes, no one questions that. As long as he can stay within himself and stay on the court, he's such an energetic young star to watch. Another example of that, taking a team that has been, quite frankly, atrocious all year long, getting them a quality victory, that counts. I don't care what time of year it is. I don't care if it's April, December. With this team that Jaws on, specifically this team, just grabbing a win here or there is a big morale boost. There's been a lot of people that are high on the Grizzlies core. I'm not one of them. I think they've lost something over the last year and change. I think not having Ja was a lot of that something they lost. Now that he's back, Maybe they can string together a few wins. But, Will, in my mind, this is just about, you know, a feel-good story. He's back. Whether or not you agreed with his actions or wanted a longer suspension, this, that, the other, you've got to be 
willing to admit it's fun to watch him play. It's good to him and have him back for that reason. And I feel like he hasn't really missed a step at all. I mean, to come back 34 points, like most people to be gone for 25 games, it takes him a second to get back into the swing of things. I mean, look at Zion at the beginning of the season. Like that was a poor start to the season, you know, after, you know, the few months off between last season and this one. And Jod just seems like, you know, he hasn't missed to be comes back, drops 34 game winner, you know, hugs his dad after the game. Um, you know, like, like you said, you know, whether or not um, you like the choices that, it, that he makes or, or not, or, you know, whether or not you believe the suspension should be longer or not, it's, it's really good to see such a talented player back in the court. And, you know, we just hope that he doesn't make another decision like that because he, he brings the relevance to this Memphis Grizzlies franchise. Cause, and going back to what Miles said, I think part of the reason we forget about the fact that Jaw was missing was because the Grizzlies are such a small market franchise. And then, you know, we're used to kind of them just sinking to the bottom and he's been the main reason why they've been good the past couple seasons. So to see him back, it kind of reminds us who this Memphis Grizzlies team is. Yeah, Memphis is beyond reliant on this guy, John Moran. I mean, he's he's a budding superstar in a league with a bunch of budding superstars. And I think that's also part of the conversation when you say, how did we forget about John Moran in such a kind of a modest suspension? Well, in my mind, it's because, you know, you got so many other young names that are just on the rise. You forget about a, a small market guy like John Morant. I think, you know, Colin, there's, there's a lot to unpack here. There's, you know, John Morant is suspended for something in my mind, foolish, right? Non-violent at the end of the day, there's no serious consequence for the action in, in a league where you have situations like miles bridges, et cetera, et cetera. You might call this frivolous. I mean, you had a lot of people, very up in arms. This guy's a bordering borderline face of the league doing something foolish. But in my mind, I was thinking the opposite. It, it, in a way, 25 games seems like too much given other NBA suspensions. You can call a spade a spade. He did a stupid thing. He got punished for doing a stupid thing, and he's back now. The whole idea that he shouldn't have been suspended at all is ridiculous. If any of us had done that, We'd be suspended at our jobs here at the station or elsewhere because, quite frankly, who needs the anxiety or agita of putting up with that type of behavior? He's hopefully going to learn from that experience. And quite frankly, the people that were probably the most mad about Ja's suspension were in the league office that suspended him. Look at this Memphis team without Ja. We've been beating around the bush. They're horrible. 27th in terms of attendance in the NBA right now. So they're not really a big draw. In terms of net rating, they're 25th. Defensive rating, not bad. I'm going to cut it most of that to Jaron Jackson Jr. They're ninth out of 30 teams, so you can live with that. But then offensively, obviously the largest sample size here without Ja, dead last in the NBA. So, yeah, he did a stupid thing. He was punished for it. And I'm almost positive it pained Adam Silver and the rest of the league front office to hand down that suspension. Because they knew what was going to follow from that. You're going to tell me that Marcus Smart and a bunch of scrubs is going to put up a winning record? It's just not going to happen. Memphis is not a good team without Ja. Even with Ja, they're maybe, maybe competitive to make the play. And that's a big maybe. Right now, no, with how they started. So overall, you just hope if you're the NBA or if you're a general NBA fan who just likes to watch good basketball, that this is a learning experience for Ja going forward, and he won't have to handle any more suspensions. 
to me, I also feel like he, he needed to be suspended. You know, I think 20, 25 is not like, to me, it's not overdoing it. Cause I think if it, if it was like a season that it's overdoing it. Um, and, and I'm just thankful that Adam Silver didn't react that way because I mean, that just completely ruins the Grizzlies and you remove probably one of the, like, like you guys said, one of the best young rising stars in this game today. Um, just going back to, you know, a, a few weeks ago to, or not even a week ago, maybe like just only about a week ago when Draymond was suspended. I think that, you know, Adam Silver's kind of, he's trying to come down on these things more so that these things aren't, you know, a repeating occurrence with, especially guys like John Moran, who've had, who's had this twice now. And then Draymond's obviously got his completely horrid history. So I think that it, it comes to a point where it, some of these things need to be cracked down on. And hopefully, you know, like we said, these things don't happen again. Although I'm a little bit, uh, part of me is still a little bit nervous about John Moran because um, I think, I don't know if you guys remember when he first put out that PR statement or, or, or whatever it was when he first got suspended, some people were like, this was written using Chad GPT or something because <laughs> they put it into Chad GPT and got the same exact thing that he put out. Well, I think it's important. I mean, that, I, I, there's no way he wrote it. He was fed that by a member of either the Memphis Grizzlies or a team. But, but I think, you know, it's it, you're, you're on an interesting point here is that the NBA is dealing with a lot of suspensions. The, we started last week's pick and pod with the indefinite suspension of, of Draymond Green. Now we're dealing with the return of the suspension for another superstar in John Morant. We obviously heard about the Josh Giddy situation a few weeks ago. We got the Anthony Edwards situation. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. This season has just been case on case about kind of bad PR stuff across the NBA. Like it's it's becoming quite the theme at this point, Colin. I just wanted to comment on the Draymond Green suspension. I haven't gotten the opportunity to quite yet. Listen, we know who Draymond is. I don't understand this inclination to suspend him indefinitely for doing what he's done his entire career. He's yeah, always been this sort of player. And to be frank, I loved what Shaq had said. The other day, he said something to the effect of, you know, this is a narrative that we're pushing on him, that there's something wrong with Draymond. No, Draymond just plays a tough brand of basketball. Now, to those that yeah. probably grew up in a newer age, AAU circuit where it's all flash and it's about being as close to a John Morant or a Kyrie Irving as you possibly can be, of course you're not going to like Draymond's style of basketball, which is very much a 90s, 80s, early 2000s blend that just so happens to work now against certain teams. So I understand why Silver suspended him indefinitely because that's more about there's been a pattern. But at the same time, we know who Draymond is. I don't understand why indefinitely. If you wanted to do something like five games, 10 games, I think that that would have made more sense than doing what they did. Because again, losing someone like Draymond, and you hate to think about it in these terms, hurts the product. It hurts the Warriors in the same way that losing Ja hurt the Grizzlies. Now, it's different because the equation there would be losing Steph would be kind of equal to losing Ja in that sense. I think losing Steph would be a bigger deal, but you get my drift there. I'm trying to make a decent enough comparison yes. for you. I just feel like in terms of the suspensions overall this year, it's the NBA. We're here for the storylines. We love the on-court drama. The off-court drama also comes with it. Uh, you know, last year and the year before it was Kyrie Irving. It's someone else's time to shine now, I suppose. 
Yeah, Colin, I'm really right there with you about the ridiculous narrative about there's something wrong with Draymond Green. This is a centimillionaire. This is a father. This is a husband. This is not a malicious person in his day-to-day life. Did he punch Jordan? I think the punching Jordan Poole is the most ridiculous because it's in practice and it's it's pretty dang vicious when you, when you watch the video. But the stuff on the basketball court, I mean, that's basketball stuff. I Do, do you suspect – you got guys – I mean, it kind of brings you back to my other point about Miles Bridges in relation to the John Morant suspension. Can you really justify this type of Draymond Green suspension when you got other cases throughout the league where, you know, when you look at the league's history, they're just not dealt with that kind of severity. And I, and I definitely don't like the narrative that there's something – seriously wrong with Draymond Green that he needs, you know, psychiatric help. You know, this is this is not that kind of player. Um, but that's enough about the the drama in the NBA. Let's get into some some real basketball now. The Knicks here locally are above 500. Colin, I know you've been watching your fair share of Knicks basketball. Most recently they went on that West Coast swing, went at Utah, at Phoenix, at Clippers, at Lakers. Pretty much, you know, broke 500, but coming off that 114-109 over Los Angeles, a solid win, and now they return home. I think in a lot of people's eyes, given this core of the Knicks, breaking even on that West Coast stretch is is all you could ask for. I, I, a lot of Knicks fans seem pretty content right now, Colin. Ironically enough, I had them winning the other two games and losing the games that they actually won. So to beat the Lakers and to also beat Phoenix – matters for me when I try to assess this Knicks team obviously they're still without Mitchell Robinson he's not going to be back for another couple months if even I think the initial report was something like eight to ten weeks I had said at the time that was being pretty generous it's probably closer to 10 to 12 weeks if we're being honest by the time he rehabs in and is able to be a full go I think this season for New York is just about getting the right offensive and defensive chemistry in line for the playoffs. There's been a lot of narratives about New York needs to get a star and that's run across the national media for the last couple of months. Where have you all been? This has been the case since 2021 when it was Julius Randle and Derek Rose leading them up the mountaintop to the playoffs in that 72 game COVID season. They got knocked out in the first round by Trey Young and the Hawks, but ultimately this has been the case. It's known that the Knicks need a star. Are they going to get one this year? I don't know. I would venture to say probably not, but that doesn't mean you can't make a deep playoff run. On paper, this is the type of team that could go to the conference finals. The Eastern Conference is looking a tad flaky. Boston dropped the ball last night against Golden State. We'll get to that. Milwaukee has looked shaky at times. Miami has an on-off switch where they seem to turn it on when the playoffs come. But to play devil's advocate, what happens if the wheels fall off the bus before you get to the playoffs? Philly, I don't expect anything from, because I haven't seen anything from Philly in the playoffs in the past that leads me to believe I'm going to get anything different. So until Joel Embiid can take on that kind of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson role where he physically pushes that team to the finish line, I'm not buying into the Sixers. So overall, you look at the Knicks, not too shabby at all. And statistically, you have to like where they are. In terms of net rating, which is a stat that Coach Tom Thibodeau speaks a lot about during post-game press conferences, 10th in the league. 
Not bad at all. What you get concerned about is the defensive rating. 16th in the NBA right now for a team that prides itself on defense, and that was the case all year last season. It's concerning to have a defensive rating that low, and now you're without your anchor and rim protector, Mitchell Robinson. You're going to have to adjust some things here and there. It's for those reasons that I've often critiqued. They shouldn't have started Dante DiVincenzo over Grimes the way they've been doing in the last couple of games. I understand Grimes hasn't been perfect, but defensively, they're going to have to shift things around. No reason to panic at all. 15-11 is nothing to sneer at. You're fifth in the East, right where you'd like to be. I think this Knicks team is in such a good spot. Um, you know, because like you said, Colin, some of these other teams, they can be shaky at times, but the Sixers in Miami, they're like up and down and um, you never know what you're going to get from them. I think the Knicks, you're a lot more certain. This team is very deep. Um, it's not, you know, like Miami where it's like Jimmy Bam and then the rest of the team is like maybe one out of every 10 games will, you know, go off. And then the other nine, they're just like, eh. Um, this team, I think that, their depth is going to carry them into the playoffs uh, at least past the first round for sure. And I think, you know, in terms of the last few games, I think they've shown signs that they can hang, you know, against the Lakers. They out-rebounded the Lakers 52-41. to 41. They shot better uh, from the field and from three than the Lakers. And against the Clippers, yeah, they got blown out. But people people forget that the Clippers have actually been figuring it out lately, despite having James Harden, you know, and people driving this narrative that, oh, my gosh, Harden ruins everything. I mean, maybe for the, for the for the first few games, you know, you could point to that and be like, oh, yeah, like that's a problem. But look, man, they've been winning a lot lately. And so I don't, I don't think that you can look at that game and be like, oh, my gosh, the Knicks are in trouble. I don't think they're in trouble. It wasn't even a bad game for them. It's just that like you're playing the Clippers who have four of, you know, you know, I, I think what Kawhi, Harden, Russell Westbrook, they've all been MVPs at one point. And then Paul George was, you know, he's not, you know, the Pacers, Paul George, but he's still extremely, extremely good. And so I don't, I don't think there's too much to, to worry about for the Knicks. I think the one area other than defense where they could improve is three-point shooting. I think they can be pretty inconsistent with that. They have some decent games, but I think otherwise, I mean, they're, they're, they're set up for a good future, especially if they get somebody like Donovan Mitchell. I think if they get a free agent star, I think this team is destined to make at least the Eastern Conference Finals. And the three-point shooting hasn't been horrendous at all this year. Right now, seventh in the NBA in that category. I think jump-starting Grimes behind the arc could be beneficial for them. It might even make it so that you're a three-point shooting team come the playoffs, which is not something I expected. But assuming you get Mitchell Robinson back, assuming that the three-point mark stays kind of consistent from where it is now, which, again, would be a little surprising with where it was last year. But assuming all stays stable, then you're looking at a situation where if you grab an offensive board, you can kick it right back out to a DiVincenzo, a Brunson, a Randall, a Barrett, and they drain a three. All of a sudden, your offense looks a whole hell of a lot better against teams like Boston and Milwaukee that could do the same thing. Yeah, no, I hear that. And I think, Colin, you know, at this point to me, I'm pretty happy with 15 and 11, but it does have that weird feeling that they're treading water. And I think that's acceptable amidst the injury of, of Mitchell Robinson. One thing I do want to highlight is Hartenstein stepping up 17 boards last time out, 10 boards a game before that. I think that, you know, that's someone who's going to need to be such a reliable presence in the low post if this Knicks team is going to be special for the next couple of weeks, or you know, until Robinson returns. And also, you know, just given the current talent of this New York Knicks squad, 
you need Brunson to be an every night all-star. So far, he's been exactly that. But the other side of that is he's going to need that tandem partner in Julius Randle. Is he going to be an every night all-star? I don't really think so. That's probably where my concern lies. If, you know, this Knicks team, if this is going to be the core that takes you deep in the playoffs, you're going to need two names to really step up. Of course, you know, reliable guy in Brunson, but Julius Randle, day in and day out in the playoff season, down the stretch, I don't know if I can rely on that. Well, it's the Julius Randle experience, as we've come to know and love it. There is no such a thing as consistency, other than the fact that he's consistent in showing up. And when you got a guy that shows up in the age of load management, you take it 10 ways to Sunday. So I think how it actually works for the Knicks is you're going to get what you're going to get from Brunson. Then you need something from either Randall or Barrett or quickly on a given night. You need two guys to play consistently well. It doesn't really matter who the second guy is on a night-by-night basis. Most of the time. It's Julius Randle. He's found his footing after starting off the year very, very shakily. I don't know if he's the number one on a team. He's probably not. I think the boat has sailed on that. Could he be a number two or a number three? Absolutely. But you'd have to get the right two or three. And right now, it's Brunson's team. That's clear to me. There's people inside that organization that no doubt think he has another level to reach. That's a conversation for another day. But at 15 and 11, this time of year, you take it. Because last year, you struggled to really find out who you were as a team until after the new year, until after some rotational changes were made. Actually, starting Quentin Grimes last year was instrumental in getting the Knicks towards that playoff seating. So I think in some ways, this is a better start than what they got last year. It's probably close on paper if we were to look at the records, but without a center, you have to like what you're doing. You have to like going two and two on a West Coast trip. Those type of trips could be bonding experiences as well. So it's worth watching to see how this team responds from here on out. Absolutely. And I think a big part of that is Brunson. There's no doubt about that. The last two weeks in particular, the last couple of games, I mean, undoubtedly just really impressive stuff. But, you know, the next challenge will be they return back to the East Coast. It's it's back in New York, but it's it's Brooklyn. And I think that this is one, of course, we spoke about this off air. Brooklyn only gets one and a half points. You know, Vegas sees this as an even matchup in New York, which I think, you know, with a lot of Knicks fans traveling to Barclays, et cetera, et cetera. I'm kind of surprised to see the Brooklyn Nets getting the respect. This is a team that's lost their last three games. Of course, they were on a bit of a a West Coast swing as well, falling Denver, Golden State, and Utah. But one bright spot has been, and Cam Thomas. I mean, that started early in the year, as soon as he started getting the starts. Last time out, 32 points in the loss at Utah. Before that, 41 at Golden State for Cam Thomas. I mean, unbelievable stuff for a guy that is quite literally our age. He's, I mean, he's born in 2001. It's pretty hard to believe that this guy is, you know, making a consistent impact in the league the way he is. I mean, you think about the ceiling with Cam Thomas. I mean, that's one bright spot. We'll we'll get into the Cam Thomas talk, but let's start with the Knicks Nets tonight. Vegas says it's even, uh, I don't really think so. To me, Colin, this is Knicks game to lose. I think it's pretty close because it's the Knicks. You've said it yourself. The Knicks are this type of team where it's like they'll be up 18 in the third quarter and then it'll slowly slip away. Worth noting, the Nets are currently second 
in terms of three-point field goal percentage. So if the Knicks start snoozing defensively towards the end of the game, which could happen, the Nets could light them up. This is going to be closer than you might think, Miles. And to tell you the truth, you've got to give Jacques Vaughn credit for basically dealing with a wonky set of cards since last year. I mean, you look at all the changes that have happened in Brooklyn since the time that he set foot in Barclays Center. It, it, it goes without saying that it's impressive that even this team is 500 right now. They're ninth in the Eastern Conference. If the season were to end today, they'd be in the play-in picture. A lot of their success from here on out is going to be dependent on, okay, what does Mikhail Bridges have left up his sleeve? We know what he can do. We kind of know what he can't do at this point too, but can he find another year? And if he can do that, then that should be able to kind of slide their way towards playoff positioning. But no doubt, this is going to be a close game between the Knicks and the Nets. I think closer than people might think. I think it, this is a game where you you don't know what you're going to get from either team. Because I think, like you said, Colin, Knicks can be inconsistent. And then the Nets, on the other hand, are like, they're this team that I feel – they could improve in basically every which way, you know, free throw shooting, shooting better from the field, rebounding, limiting turnovers. Um, I feel like they have multiple areas where they could improve, but at the same time, they they somehow like find a way to get things done and play decent still and better than you would expect considering their personnel and the stats they put up. Like they're just that team that you, you look at the stat line, you're like, okay, this team is definitely not going to be that good, but then somehow they're, they're hanging in that there quite often. Like they're on a five game losing streak, but the only bad team that they really lost to in that streak was the jazz. They had close games against the warriors and the Suns, And then, you know, obviously they got beaten by double digits by both the Kings and the nuggets. But I think, you know, to, to show, the fact that they were able to keep it close against the Suns and the Warriors show that this team just somehow knows how to hang. So I don't know if, you know, a 1.5 point spread is, is uh, the right number because this team also just, again, isn't really quite there as much as the Knicks are. But I do feel like this game, this game definitely won't be a blowout. Yeah, I like what both of you guys said about this team knows that to stay in ball games. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Jacques Vaughn deserves quite a bit of credit, Colin. This is a a, a well-coached group. I mean, talent-wise, they know they don't hang with a lot of teams in the East. They are very self-aware in that sense. And that's kind of what I like the most is they know that they have to play this almost, you know, here locally, Keith Ergo brand of basketball. They got to out-defense you, out-hard-nose you. That's what they want to do. They want to be that that classic kind of, you know, Brooklyn brand. And I, I kind of appreciate it. I think to me though, what, what, what you, you lose four to the last five in this West coast swing and, you know, for a squad that kind of has been piecing it together, hanging in, eking out victories. Now that the wheels are starting to fall off, I'm getting worried. I think I look at the next stretch, right? Knicks. That's a tough game. I, We've we've spoken about it quite a bit. I know Colin, you think that this could be this is one's in Barclays. It's a chance, but after that, even Denver, Milwaukee, in a couple games, things could really take a turn for this Nets team. I mean, they've been able to hang around and they've been able to be tough, but it might not last forever. And I think too, this is just a part of Jack Vaughn's development as a coach as well. For as well prepped as the Nets are, there are still aspects to Vaughn's uh, game as a coach that I look at and go as you age in terms of your career you'll be able to steal them a win here and there you look at some of the great coaches in NBA history a Pat Riley a Popovich 
uh, Red Auerbach, if you want to go way back into history, those guys could grab wins for teams that weren't performing at their peak. There's things you can do to try and offset rhythm, to spark plug your guys as the year progresses. I think Jack Mullen will get there as a coach. With this type of team, he might need to accelerate that development if he wants to get them into the playoffs. I don't think this team is – that. I don't know about the playoffs, Colin. I mean, this team – they they are on a on a downward spiral, and even though I mean they've kept it close against some good teams, I I don't know, man. Like, the, I feel like they they've had their their moment, you know, in the beginning of the season where they they were kind of hanging in there when when uh when teams were still trying to figure things out. But I think as the season goes on, I think the 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 youngness. I'm not sure if that's a word. That the youth <laughs> youth of this team. Um, and just the, the lack of superstar talent and a lot of depth, I think it's going to eventually catch up to them. So I don't, I don't even know if they're going to get that far. See, I don't see it that way because in a league where guys take possessions off, it's going to be the young team that's running on every possession that might make it in terms of standings and wins and losses. That doesn't mean that they're the prettiest team to watch. Quite frankly, you'd be better watching a team like the Kings who plays a beautiful brand of basketball. But the Nets are going to find a way in there because they're young, they're hungry, they're running every possession. And while there's a lot of room for growth there, there's also a lot of room to be optimistic. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And before we wrap up our Nets talk, just got a little notification from Nets PR about the the injuries. Ben Simmons say there's uh, – uh, let's read this. Re-updated in two weeks. So it's the lower nerve impingement. Still nothing new. Reevaluated in two weeks, Ben Simmons. Dennis Smith Jr. cleared for all basketball activities. He's been out the last six. And then Lonnie Walker, the fourth. He's missed the last eight with the hamstring. He's been cleared for individual on court. So a couple of injury updates there. I I think the biggest one being Ben Simmons, uh, just another update in two weeks, which might say here's another update in two weeks. Kind of that running a circle around nothing there. For, for Ben Simmons. Before we wrap up this episode, just got a few minutes left here. We want to talk about that last night when it was the Celtics going up against the Warriors. Steph Curry hitting the buzzer beater. It was an electric shot. I think Jason Tatum was a pretty underwhelming performer. It's becoming quite the theme against the Warriors of all opponents for some reason. But Colin, I felt like there was quite a bit to unpack and a result that not a lot of people expected. I never want to be one to say I told you so. But to our pick and pod slash one-on-one audience, I told you so. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, wh- what did you tell us? In this particular instance, I think this is the sort of game the Celtics win if Marcus Smart is still there. Point blank. Marcus Smart was the lifeblood of that Celtics team. Right now, they're 20-6. and six. They're cruising. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to have a long playoff run. They might win a championship. Point blank. But in games like this, where a Curry or a Devin Booker or someone like that that can turn it on in an instant gets hot at the end, you need someone like Marcus Smart that's going to stop the bleeding. For as good as Porzingis has been when healthy with the Celtics this year, it's not the same as having someone with the intensity of Marcus Smart. They're different types of basketball players. I think Porzingis complements what the Celtics are trying to do offensively more than Smart did. 
But defensively, you're missing something now. It's evident you're missing something now, especially when Tatum didn't perform well at all. 15 points, eight boards, seven assists. I'm not taking that to the bank. Brown was okay, 28 points, but it didn't matter in a game where Curry went silly with 33 points. And by the way, the guy who everyone has written off in the last couple of weeks, Clay Thompson, put up 24 as well. So wrote, this is not me. I wrote him off. I'll be the first to say I wrote him off. I, these past is prime. This is not me singing the Warriors' praises. This is me simply saying the Celtics should have won this game. They should right now be 21-5 and five instead of 20-6. and six. I'd argue they would be had they just held on to Marcus Smart. So I'm going to be having this debate for the next three, four months with whoever wants to have it because Porzingis has been good, but you lose these type of games when you lose the oxygen of your team. I think this narrative that we're, we're driving that Jason Tatum is, he just disappears. I think on one hand, it's semi-true because for what you expect from a guy like him and for the amount that, that he gets paid and whatnot, I mean, 15 points, eight re- I think it's eight rebounds and seven assists, right? I, that's not a bad stat line at all, you know, just from from a, a purely objective standpoint. But for Tatum, you obviously, you know, in a game like this, you want him to have, you know, the 34 points and, you know, triple-double maybe or something like that. Um, and it, it just, even though it's not bad, it just doesn't hold up when it's, you know, when, again, Steph Curry's going off at 33, Kaminga's, Kaminga's got 17 and seven, Clay decides to show up, CP3 shows up, you know, when because, you know, people... I feel like people forget how good the Warriors are too. I mean, this team just won a championship a couple of years ago. And I know they they don't have the most, you know, shining record right now, but this team still has Steph Curry. This team still has Klay Thompson and Chris Paul. And when they go off, this team is a championship caliber team. So, you know, when you're the Boston Celtics and then you end up, you know, with your best player only dropping 15, even though, again, that's not a, a, a purely bad objective stat line, it's just not going to be enough against a team that's firing in all cylinders. Yeah, 15, 7, and 8 is not bad. I think it, it's a good point. It's a couple dimes and a couple boards away from, from a triple-double. I think the thing that stands out is that 15 you're points. not doing it in the big moments when you need to, right? You're battling against the Warriors, and you're not coming through. Colin, are we on the same page? It's 15 points. When it's Jason Tatum, I'm expecting a 35-point performance in this type of game, especially when he'll be the first guy to tell you he's trying to emulate a Kobe Bryant. God rest Kobe's soul. Jason Tatum is not Kobe Bryant yet. I don't even think he's in that stratosphere right now because there's an element of he slows down. He starts to kind of slouch, you know, slouch his shoulders a little bit. There's not that same intensity. I think it's there, but it's got to get woken up. Last night was a great example of how sometimes he's just a little less motivated than you'd like him to be. I've seen enough Jason Tatum basketball to know that that next gear is there. It just takes a little bit for him to kind of get into that mentality. And it's important to remember, I mean, stars are judged by who they are in the, in the most high leverage of moments. And, and, you know, who Jason Tatum has proven to be over the last few high leverage moments is not necessarily that reliable superstar. But that will do it for, for this episode of Pick and Pod. It's been a fun one. We're wrapping up on the 30-minute mark. But tonight here in New York locally, the Knicks are in Brooklyn. That's a 7.30 tip. I've been Miles Grossman. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, this is a production of WFUV Sports.